I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is Grits. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> this week, we're going to get a little saucy. We are a little saucy. Okay, we are a little saucy. <laughs> uh, we're going to check in with one another, and we are going to talk about uh, how red, politically speaking, the South really is. Um, so, yeah. All right. Let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. All right, so I've got some things to check in about. So tonight, I so I'm on the board of the League of Women Voters of Nashville, and the league is a bit the the membership. They're a bit gray haired and they're a little older, which doesn't mean that they're no less fun. They are very fun. However, they have been involved in. So the league primarily is all about voter registration. And so in Tennessee, they have been um, instrumental in registering voters uh, across the state. That being said, um, you know, the league was started by Carrie Chapman Catt after women's suffrage was passed. Um, We should probably check that on Wikipedia at some point. So... um, I'll do that before we put it down. <laughs> okay, thanks, Anna. Great. Thank you for fact-checking me. Um, so, anyway, so I had my the I had my board meeting tonight, and uh, it was really cute because we were talking about um, the suggestion was made that we should create a league Snapchat. And uh, as you know, women in their sixties don't use Snapchat. It's not their primary method of communicating with one another or their husbands. So, yeah, we had a bit of a tutorial on on Snapchat, which led to a conversation about Bitmojis, which you can imagine the reaction of all of the ladies uh, when we created a Bitmoji uh, in, you know, replicating one of their, you know, what they look like. And they were pretty impressed. They were pretty impressed with the technological advancement that has now become Bitmojis. So whoever created Bitmoji... The league is appreciative. I don't speak on behalf of the league, uh, but I'm appreciative because they are now using it as a tool to, for voter registration across the state. So that was really funny. Um, the other check-in, the other update that I have this week. So um, some of you may know that my brother adopted a hedgehog after uh, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. He is a forcibly displaced hedgehog. And so... <laughs> it's so sad. It is so why am I laughing? So after the hurricane um, hit Houston, my brother, who lives in Austin, he attends the University of Texas, he, for his birthday, I think a birthday present to himself, because as you do when you, you know, buy yourself presents, you go to the pet store. And so he found Harvey and adopted him. So Landon was back and forth. He was a bit transient, you know, because he's in college. And so he's coming back for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so Harvey ended up staying with my parents. Well, I felt Harvey wasn't getting the nurturing and attention that he really needed as a hedgehog. You know, the belly rubs and the little coddles. The strobe light. The strobe. <laughs> yes, I have to talk about the strobe light at some point because I think he may have had a mini heart attack. Aww. He may, like, he was freaking out. And I realized afterwards that it probably wasn't the best move to put a hedgehog under a strobe light for 15 seconds. Landon, I'm really sorry. Anyways, so, um, (laughs) so he, uh, so anyway, so he came back to Tennessee and Landon goes back to Austin for school and my parents, I just, I felt weren't giving him the, the loving that he needed. So I decided that I would take him in for a few weeks. And so Harvey was at my house and each night we had this, and you know, Anna, 
you know, when people have children and there are these really intimate moments where their, you know, their child lays on their chest and it's just this, like the oxytocin is released and you just, you really bond, you know, I felt that with Harvey. There was one night where we were just laying on the couch and, you know, they're very prickly. So, you, you know, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a prickly. I actually don't know. I've never touched the hedgehog, but <laughs> okay. thanks for letting Sorry. me know. Okay. Just so you know. It's a very prickly type of love, you know, and I think I, I respond well to that. I respond well to prickly love. So anyways, it was this moment where we were just, he was on my belly and I was just, you know, rubbing his, you know, his tummy and his back and he fell asleep. And I thought, wow, this is what it's like to have children. <laughs> wow, that was what you thought. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> have you changed his diaper yet? No, I, no, he doesn't wear diapers. Okay. He actually poops <laughs> next to his um, his wheel, his rotating wheel that he spins on at night. Also another little known fact, uh, unknown fact, hedgehogs are nocturnal. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't know that. So I, so I, I pull, I'm, you know, Ben Franklin is one of my role models in life. And I, did you know that? No, I didn't See, all, all the facts are being done. Okay. That's so strange. I wake up, I wake up very early and I go to bed very early and Harvey is on the exact opposite sleep schedule. He sleeps like a college frat boy, like my little brother. So <laughs> it, it has been hard, you know, balancing schedules, but you know, we just, Anyways, so he was over at my house, and finally Landon wanted him back. And so, of course, being the older, aggressive, persistent sister, older sister that I've always been, I called my mom and I said, Mom, I, I really want to keep Harvey. You know, like, he's, I've just really enjoyed him being at my house. And because I'm the favorite child, my mom said, oh, yeah, call your brother. Call your brother and see if, you know, he'll let you keep Harvey. So I called Landon and I prefaced it, Landon, you know, I just, it's a bondage, you know, not bondage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are officially two and a half glasses of wine in and the word bondage has been used. Okay, uh, all right, taking a step back, that's the grits after dark, which we talked about yeah, last week. That. So we'll save that for the, ne the next week. Um, so I said to Landon, you know, gave my whole spiel and Landon cut me off and said, you know, Afton it's my pet. And I said, yeah, you're right. So my mom drove from Knoxville to Nashville, picked up Harvey, uh, on Monday night and drove him back to Austin. So now he's in Austin. Mm -hmm. He's back with his father. Um, you know, I'm a little disappointed, but I'm, I've always positioned myself as the crazy fun aunt, you know, like where the kids can come over and we get, you know, high on cotton candy and, you know, and I give them really weird gifts that they store for later and they'll have a story to tell their friends. Like that's, that's the aunt that I imagined myself being. And I feel like Harvey really got that experience in Nashville. So especially with the strobe light and, you know, the music. So we'll, <laughs> we'll provide a snap of that later. Anyways, those are all my updates that I have been, you know, taking a breather from being a hedgehog aunt. Um, what about you? What have you been up to this week? I worked a lot cause I was out part of last week due to a family deal. Um, so I had to go back to Louisiana. So worked a lot, worked over the weekend and everything. But I also went to the Wedgwood Houston Art Crawl and yeah. I tried um, Pasteria. I probably am not saying that right. <laughs> it was really good. Oh my gosh, it was it was so good. And I've been training for a half marathon. So I've been a little sweaty, you know, just like 
at 10.30 on a Thursday. And I'm like, <laughs> is is it casual Thursday? Did I, did, I, did I miss that all staff email? And she's just chilling in her LSU, which she's wearing right now. She's wearing an LSU t-shirt. Just chilling in her yoga pants. And I thought, wow, dedication to whatever exercise she's doing today. Yeah, um, I've mastered the one and a half miles. (laughs) There's red wine everywhere. (laughs) Anna and I have our cups of wine in hand, so it has been... So, we just before we even get started with the content for the pod today, we really wanted to come in totally prepared and just, like... Throw in New York Times, WashPo, the Pew Research Center, Center on Budget Policy Priorities. And yet here we are, a little saucy tonight. And so we're just (laughs) going to give it to you straight. And I think you guys will appreciate it. So we're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Yeah, it's not that we don't know a lot or take in a lot of information. It's just... (laughs) It's hard to prepare for these things. Well, it's, we promise you know, we'll be more prepared next yeah, time. We've got a we we've got a topic. lot of great things on the docket. Okay, so we're gonna talk. We're gonna get really deep. This is just this is a. I think people want to get to know us as as people. Yeah. Oh, I have one more thing to add. This is how I spent yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. I woke up at five, and because I was behind on work, so I was doing more work. In the morning. And then I decided that I was going to uh, decant a can of soup into a bowl for my lunch um, at work. And when I was opening the soup, it was like one of the pull top Amy's organic soups. It flung everywhere and got all over my phone and messed up my phone speaker and all of that. So then I put my phone in a bag of rice. And then I'm like at work and already went to the gym, as Afton said. It was quite sweaty. And I come back and I try to charge my phone because it was like almost dead. And I can't get my charger to fit. And I'm like, what is going on? But I'm kind of shaky, a little nauseous because I'm so out of shape. And I'm like sticking it in there. I'm like, what? I had jammed a piece of rice, a grain of rice, deep into my charging socket, whatever thing. I ended up working on it for almost 30 minutes. <laughs> With a paper clip, and I eventually, like, had to break up the piece of rice until I could dislodge it from my charging port. Um, but I kept asking coworkers for help, and they just looked at me like I was absolutely insane. Shout out to Kanika for telling me just to take it to the Apple store. And I figured it out. <laughs> but she, nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> nevertheless, she persisted. Yeah, so. All right. That was it. Great update. <laughs> <laughs> Anna conquered a piece of rice at work and showed up wearing sweats. I became a hedgehog aunt and uh, taught 60-year-old ladies (laughs) bitmojis. So, win and win. Yeah. Win and win. Lots of wins. Lots of wins this week. Man, it's been a while. We see each other every day, but it feels like... (laughs) Hello. I wish we could just talk in my closet with wine every day. I know. This would be the great thing. Okay, so we, the content for the pod this week is talking about how red the South really is. And I think um, when I've had conversations like this with people who aren't in our world, our progressive bubble, for example, my parents who live in East Tennessee, and my mom, apparently all of her friends are only Trump supporters, which I think is fascinating. But, um, you know, there's a lot of 
particularly with progressive voters that, oh, well, it's a, it's, it's not worth my time. You know, it's a waste, it's a waste of a vote because we're just going to go red, but there's a lot more to unpack. And so, so Anna read a really interesting article this week that we're going to share. Anna, what, what was it about? Yeah. So it was an article in Salon a couple days ago that talked about the Republican Party's mission to gain seats uh, post-Obama's first election. The 2009 Republican Legislative Campaign Committee met in Nashville to discuss how they could gain more red seats in the, so coming, in the coming election. So the, is it the RNZ? It's like the RNZ. Okay, so, so they met in Nashville after Obama was elected and said, hey, how can we get, what? How can we get more seats? Okay. Basically, which is, you know... Fairly benign. Both parties do it. It's part of the strategy and everything. Right. But throughout this process, uh, they ended up coming up with this redistricting plan, which a lot of y'all have probably heard of gerrymandering and some of the problems in the, that are moving through the courts in multiple states about um, how they've drawn redrawn these lines. North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those come off the top of my head. I don't know a lot about this issue. I'll preface with that. But I found this article incredibly interesting, particularly if you live in Tennessee, uh, because it's all kind of started in Nashville. Wow. So I'll, I'll link it below. But um, basically, then the Republican State Leadership Committee, there's all these committees. They're all under the RNC. They're all wearing pearls. They're, they're all wearing red and pearls. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure this is guys in red oh. ties. Um you know, old guys, white the hair. The stale, pale, and male crowd. Have you ever been to the Hermitage Oak Bar? Because <laughs> they're all there. <laughs> um, anyway, so they created this plan that they call Red Map, which is the redistricting majority project. And they didn't really have a plan for how far this would go or anything, but they were just like, you know, super pissed about Obama. Right. <laughs> Basically, that was the impetus. And Democrats were doing really well at that point. Um, in the 2008 election, we won, you know, uh, both chambers of Congress and the, and the presidency. So Democrats are doing really great. I say we. I'm not registered in the party. <laughs> I'm independent. But we'll talk about that later. I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Do you know what that means? She votes independently. Independently. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Um, All right, musical yeah. interlude, you're welcome. So it all snowballed, and by the 2012 election, Republicans won the House with 1.4 million fewer votes than Democratic congressional candidates, and they won large majorities in Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, and North Carolina state legislatures, even though most voters backed Democrats. So in, how do they do in that? In the gross numbers. Well, I mean— Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. It's it's kind of an extension of this. So what they've done um, with this strategy is not, instead of focusing, as most voter groups do, on turnout, on changing people's perceptions of views, on finding out what the voters want and trying to map their policies and their rhetoric around it, they instead engaged in this very backroom politic deal kind making. of deal okay. horse trading yeah to um to redraw these districts and republicans so have more complicit control in this, though like the, it, the you know the old party guys wow the old party guys so it's it's very like insidious in a way <laughs> which is the name of my wife side note <laughs> i asked anna her wi-fi name she goes 
Oh, it's insidious. <laughs> insidious. And we I did not pick it. Yeah, okay. Whatever. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, anyway, so it yeah, it's um it's just a plan to get more seats and they basically think the goal to flip districts and to create these solidly red districts is just to redraw them. And the Supreme Court has not specifically addressed these gerrymandering issues, but the latest news is that in Pennsylvania, they are redrawing the districts because their state Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional, and the Supreme Court is allowing them to do that. Okay, so this is this is a barometer for what's to come or... Mm-hmm potential cases that are to be determined and then maybe up to the Supreme Court level. Is there a case at the Supreme Court right now? Yeah, right now the Supreme Court is considering cases in Wisconsin and Maryland and they've intervened in the North Carolina case. Uh, Those have all come from federal court as opposed to Pennsylvania's case, which came from a state court. The Supreme Court has put a stay on North Carolina redrawing their map I think it's pending on the decisions in the Wisconsin or Maryland cases, but until a decision is made there, I really think it's going to be on a state-by-state basis. But I could be wrong. I'm, I don't, I didn't go to law school. I'm not, you know, I don't assess. But she can break apart a piece of rice in her iPhone <laughs> and make it work. So well, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank Anna you. Anna Walton. Yeah, so. So what does that mean for Southern states? It just means that where the population is overwhelmingly red, you know, naturally, it can it can really even further drown out any kind of progressive movement or progressive um, momentum because you could win 60% of the vote and still lose the seats. It's crazy. So I'll also try to find this article about Wisconsin that I read because literally my jaw dropped at the technology that they were using um, and how elaborate this whole thing was, because... That was a backdoor deal. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I remember the one of the politicians who's now reti- retired after this whole... He was Republican, but he's come out against the process because he was pulled into a back room at a law firm, which mm-hmm. outlined all the, gerryman- yeah. Yeah, all the gerrymandering in the districts and... Anyways, so... Yeah, it's really elaborate. And so this just speaks to a larger question of, are the people really being represented? by these elections, and you have more to add on that with, with voter turnout. Yeah, so Tennessee actually ranks 50th in voter turnout, which is embarrassing, and voter suppression is a problem in Tennessee and the South, and I think, um, you know, the conservative agenda relies on low voter turnout, and for, like in states like Tennessee, with as we rank 50th, it's, it's a problem. Okay, so we have about um, 4.9 million people who are eligible to vote, and about 1.5 of those voted in the 2016 election for President Trump, which is about 31% of all adults that are eligible to vote. So that's not even one in three Tennesseans. So I think this, you know, the low voter turnout, there's a lot of barriers to voting, Um you know, we have a lot of universities in the state and our state legislature prevents, you know, students voting with a student ID and there's all these barriers to overcome. So considering that, I think, you know, it's also important to understand, like, what is the voting rights landscape in Tennessee? And I would just like to take a moment because I, so when I was in fifth grade, little known fact, 
when I was in fifth grade, we had um, a school-wide social studies project. And my mom, being the original suffragette, as part of my Girl Scout troop, we hosted a women's suffrage tea. And so the social studies fair was that year. And I ended up doing my project on the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And so in 1920, Tennessee was actually the deciding state uh, that ratified the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And I love telling this story. And one day we will have, so our boss at the organization we work at, um, his wife is actually the, oh God, okay, this is like so long. But anyways, his wife has a special, his wife's family has a special place in Tennessee history because, so in 1920, they needed one state, one more state to ratify. And so suffragettes came down from all over the country to Nashville. Okay, so Nashville was the epicenter for the women's suffrage movement across the country. And so Carrie Chapman Cat was here, and you had Ann Dallas Dudley, who was the leading suffragette in Tennessee. And they all came down to Nashville. And, uh, you know, so the, um, the, gen- the governor called a special session. It was really, really hot. It was in, it was in August. And there is a famous hotel right next to the Capitol called the Hermitage Hotel. And the suffragettes and all of the legislators were in this hotel and there was lobbying going on. And the legislators, if they were anti-suffrage, they would wear a red rose. And if they were pro-suffrage, they would wear a yellow rose. And so you can imagine all the backdoor deals that were going on. I mean, this, the shit's the same thing, you know, it's the same thing that's going on now, you know, or did go on with tax reform and, you know, all these, th- there's all these backdoor deals that we're never privy to because, you know, one, we're women in two, there's all these other obstacles and barriers. Anyways, so the vote takes place. There's a few rounds of votes and it comes down to one junior legislator from Nyota, Tennessee, Harry Byrne. Okay. And Harry Byrne that day received a telegram from his mother, Feb Byrne, that said, help Mrs. Cat put the rat in ratification. And he <laughs> voted yes. And because of one vote, Tennessee ratified the 19th Amendment and women have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So for any of you traveling to Tennessee on the pod, please check out the Women's Suffrage Monument at Centennial Park. I, every year, I find the nearest Women's Suffrage Monument. And fortunately, I landed in Nashville where I I can actually go to the original. Um, But I lay a banquet of yellow roses and celebrate because it is, you know, it's... And so to think, to, to... Tennessee plays a critical role in, in, in voting history in our country. And yet in 2016, we were 50th in voter turnout. How does that happen? Uh, yeah. You know, how does that happen? That's well, I think we should all ask ourselves. Well, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, how the, the significant barriers that are in place with the right to vote. So a lot of it has to do with the disenfranchisement of people of color, marginalized communities, making it hard You know, for example, you know, we have early voting, but, you know, is that in the, you know, the, the work day and people who work two to three jobs, like, are they able to even do that? Um, now we have online voter voter registration, fortunately, it just launched, um, this year, but you have to have, you know, robust internet. You have to have an internet literacy to even register to vote, you know, and it's all, you can't register online if you don't have a Tennessee ID because I tried to do that. And I still have a Louisiana one. I'm not going to renew it until... Or I'm not going to get a Tennessee license until my Louisiana one expires because they're expensive. 
So, yeah, when I tried to register to vote in Tennessee from out of state, it was like jumping through flaming hoops. And then when I went to vote, I had very skeptical uh, administrators of the voting process, and I had to go back home and get my birth certificate, even though I already had my passport and my Louisiana ID. You had to bring, so you, and I'd already registered. <laughs> so just being from Louisiana, you had to bring your, you had to get your birth certificate, and, and it bring couldn't it back be a copy. Tennessee. Yeah, no, I had to have my birth certificate, my passport, my Louisiana ID, and I'd already registered with my social security number and everything. Like I had the information from the Secretary of State that I had registered to vote. So not only on top of gerrymandering. We have massive amounts of barriers to prevent people from voting. Why? Why? Why not just let? Why not? Why just not let it be an easy process? I think we know why. <laughs> I think we know why. I just I wonder now, moving forward, you know, with this resurgence of civic engagement, particularly after Trump was elected. I'm just, I'm really interested in see, you know, what demographics show up to vote, you know? And I think particularly, you know, everyone comes out for the presidential elections, but for the local elections and the statewide elections and off years, mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't, you know, people just don't care. It's not a big name. And, you know, and I'm guilty of that too, you know, for local elections, it's like, I don't know, you know, what a chancery court judge does or, you know, there's just a lot of illiteracy when it comes to voting and our participation in, in the electoral system. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next one. So. Yeah, me too. And I think part of that is how people can get disaffected by voting. You know, they can, they can think that their vote doesn't matter and gerrymandering doesn't help that too. So I think it all. Just ask Harry Byrne. Okay. So what does that have to do with our boss? How does Harry Byrne connect to our boss's wife? Okay, so so our boss's wife is the great-great-granddaughter of A.H. Roberts, who's the governor of Tennessee who called the special session during the summer of, of August okay. 1920. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, a little known fact, a little known fact about history. And the actual, the 100-year anniversary is coming up, and so um, the league is actually commissioned the Nashville Ballet to create a women's suffrage ballet for the anniversary. And it's, and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, um, there's going to be an educational component and they're going to play it in middle school so that people, so that students understand the role that Tennessee played in women getting the right to vote. And so I just, you know, Tennessee, it's such a special place and a special state. And I, it's just, it makes me so incredibly sad that in 2016, like, and I, I, I you know, before the, this pod, I, I was trying to find some exit poll demographic information, uh, particularly for, you know, the women between 18 and 25 who came out to vote. I did see that it was incredibly low at some point. I don't, I couldn't find the data today, but, um, and that makes me sad, you know, and, and I've, particularly this past year, I've been working with women who are above the age of 55 who, who have just been so incredibly activated after seeing all of this. And, and, and I look at them and I look at our, my generation and, you know, they've had to claw their way to all of these rights and privileges. And I feel like my generation just takes them for granted. And I think we felt that slipping with the election of President Trump and seeing a misogynist in office and 
you know, the this conservative agenda that believes that women shouldn't be empowered. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but... I definitely think that it's always been there, but it's definitely more evident now uh, with our current administration and a lot of the people that he's empowered to speak out. Or maybe just it's how much more aware I'm getting. I don't know. I'm 23, and I've always felt like I've been plugged in, but right now I'm like tying back to experiences I had with male teachers and mm-hmm. with other male figures in my life and with, uh, you know, contemporaries, men and, and men at my college and all this stuff. And I'm asking more questions and I'm, I'm particularly interested in how to parent young boys. I'm obsessed with being a mother. I'm not a mother, <laughs> but I'm like obsessed with becoming a parent because I think that's what I'm meant for. But that's another story. Would you want to go in, in on a hedgehog? <laughs> I think my two male cats Am are I? Are you sure? Can I tell a, a Let's do it, a, yeah. A scandalous story. About the tabbies? <laughs> a scandalous story. About the tabbies? Well, I'm just... my A day in the life of a tabby owner. One of my cats, Tobias, a.k.a. Toby, a.k.a. Tobispierre, a.k.a. Tobifer, a.k.a. Tobert, he... <laughs> likes to be he likes the faucet to be turned on in the in the kitchen or the bathroom he likes to drink directly from the faucet I've never seen him drink from the bowl and he wakes me up with the paw to the face between 4 and 5 30 every morning so I turn on the faucet this morning and he drinks the water so quickly and so much that sometimes he makes himself throw up so literally I turn around and he is gagged and it's water and food and I just have to pick it up and I had to do that this morning. But why do you turn on the faucet? Because he likes he meows and. It's, you're an enabler. <laughs> you're a you're a pa- you're an enabling parent. I'm actually gonna be the worst parent, but that's okay. <sighs> I just love love. I love cherishing people, and I just love cherishing my cats. They give me joy, and I want to give them joy. He really wants the faucet on. <laughs> I just, I don't, like, the responsibility of having pets, it terrifies me. Like, when my mom said, you know, I'll get you a hedgehog. I'll get you and your roommate a hedgehog. I had to really sit back and think about it. (laughs) Like, do I want to come home and refill a water bowl? No. It's not that much. (laughs) It is a lot of work. Dogs, that's another story. Dogs are a lot of work. But cats, I mean, they're 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 emotionally needy. Yeah, and they also need to be let out all the time. Like cats, they do need a decent amount of attention and playing with them and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, they're good. My one thing I worry about is, like, if I just wanted to move to, like, Rome, I guess I would take them with me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What if they were actual children? Would you take them to Rome? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would like for my kids to do kindergarten in another country so that they or you know, maybe like three through six or seven, just so they learn another language. I don't think hedgehogs are allowed. I think they're exotic pets. Really? Yeah. My Mm -hmm. mom, when she was driving from Nashville to Austin, she had to stop and stay at a hotel because she always does that halfway. And they charged her $25 for a hedgehog for staying in the room because he's he's considered an exotic pet. Maybe not. I wonder if he could fly on a plane. I know that peacock couldn't. Do you remember that story in the news? <laughs> someone no. tried to someone tried to fly with an emotional support peacock, and they were not allowed to. 
You can have any pet possible. You can have a succulent and be like, it's an emotionally, what is it called? Emotional support. Emotional support succulent. There's different classifications and some are, you know, like service animals and like whatever, but there's emotional, there's like therapy and there's like emotional, they're different categories and only some you can fly with. I don't know all the details, but you should check out if Harvey could become. Well, Landon's not going to let me have him. I thought about, I mean, really, I could get another hedgehog and name it Henrietta. Oh, that's cute. Wouldn't that be cute? Yeah. So, when we were growing up, I had almost a farm, but we had two hedgehogs named Sonny and Cher, and Sonny was Mm. albino, and (laughs) because he was albino, Cher didn't want anything to do with him. Yeah, it was really sad. Did she, like, hurt him, or just It was unrequited love to a fault. Yeah, it was really sad. It was really, it was, it was heartbreaking. But I I saw them, and I thought, this is, like, I I could empathize with Sonny, and I thought, this is what unrequited love feels like. And so I just, I learned a lot, you know, about relationships through, through, through their love, you Um, know? Speaking of Sonny and Cher, we performed today at work. Yeah, work has been, the work updates, everyone's been pretty excited about. So we should probably, um, we love performing. Well, I will speak for myself. I have a background in musical theater. Um, I was in a few, a few musicals, Little Shop of Horrors, Little Abner, Man of La Mancha, and 1776. Wow. Yeah, it was. On the other hand, I was not. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, I was just mentioning today at work as we walked out of our musical number for to celebrate Valentine's Day that 18 months ago when I was writing my thesis on comparative effectiveness research in the Affordable Care Act, <laughs> I never thought that in my first professional job I would be singing while holding a paper heart. But yet, there I was. Somehow, Anna has become the the lyricist at our at our organization. She writes all the lyrics for our um, our advertising videos for our advocacy efforts. And so we did one for tax reform, which was my favorite. It was um, sung to the the tune of Jingle Bells, and our creative director. Uh, added a a snow flare. There was snow, you know, the background of snowflakes. And we, you know, it was, we were all wearing Santa hats. And so this one was to Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And um, we're trying to get people to, we haven't really talked about the campaigns we're engaged in, but we um, we're trying to expand Medicaid in the state and our state legislature refuses to do so. And so we're asking everyone to call their legislators on Valentine's Day and, and show Tennessee some love and bring home our federal dollars. Bring it home. So Anna created a song, and we're going to release it on our Facebook page. Not the Grits, not the Grits, but the organization's Facebook page. So we'll be sure to link it in there. It's going to be really cute. Yeah. You did a really good job. Oh, no. I the didn't. interns were less than ecstatic, but, like, <laughs> but like fine. Like, they we just, just made them do it. it. Yeah, it's fine. So. Okay, Grits Gratitude Corner. Ooh. I am thankful for smart people that don't feel like they have to be stuck in a career. So I have been listening to, like, a lot of podcasts. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And somehow, I mean, I'm listening to really old podcasts, like, really, really old podcasts. But I've somehow come across Gretchen Rubin, like, eight times in the last week. I don't know who that is. And she went to Yale Law clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor after, and then decided 
you know what? I want to be a writer. And so I've been learning more about her journey doing that. She's so well-spoken. Admire her so much. I know she has a podcast. I know she has multiple books. I don't know that much about her. Have never read, read her books. Have never listened to her podcast or anything like that. But I've really admired her as someone who doesn't buy into the, you know, that you have to stick with one thing or that what you, because she was by far one of the most successful, like, clerkships on the Supreme Court are the cream of the crop. Like, you are, you have literally risen to the highest level post-law school that you can. And yet she was like, this isn't fulfilling for me. And she's found her own success in a different way that's fulfilling for her. And for the people she's doing it for. And I've just gotten so much good advice. I'm, like, jotting down all these notes on my phone. Like, I rarely get that inspired by a podcast. Like, I like to listen to them. They entertain me. But I rarely take advice from them. <laughs> and this is, has really got me on this kick where I want to, you know, write more. And I want to explore more of my other passions. Anna once told me that her perfect job would be to be a stay-at-home mom, but also writing. Like, you want to be a writer, right? Yeah. A novelist would be great. What type of erotica? <laughs> Obviously. Well, I've thought, about a few, I've thought about a few different things. I have a soft spot in my heart for young adult fiction, which I know a lot of people don't take very seriously. But like it had such a... Oh, like Harry Potter. Harry Potter would be in the category. Okay. But also, there's a, bunch okay. of, there's a bunch of other books that I read, like, growing up that made such an impact on me and shaped my worldview in ways that I don't even think I realized at that time that I do have a soft spot for it. I don't know. I tend to write a little high level. <laughs> so I'm not sure that I could write in a way that is palatable for young adult audiences. But I also admire Jodi Picoult and her ability to just do put in work she puts in work she produces a lot she does a lot of research Mm -hmm. and I find that model compelling okay I mean and and that's not you know I'm not writing the next great American novel but I think that I would find great joy in that and I don't know if it would just be a hobby or if it could be a career at some point I want like roughly a million and a half kids so we'll see (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I don't need to hear comments that say as soon as you have one you're not gonna want more <laughs> I've heard it I'm a prairie I'm woman <laughs> I'm just grateful that all my friends want or have kids so that I can just coast and be and do my own thing and and just hold them and have fun with them and feed them Captain Crunch and watch weird shows with them or Discovery Channel Share Shark Week with them. That's all I want to do. But then give them back at the end of the day. Pass them over and say, hey, I'm not responsible for this anymore. I'm going to go get a margarita and I'm going to let you take care of your child. But to each their own, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's... Maybe someday I'll be a hedgehog mom. Okay, what's your gratitude? Okay, Grit's Gratitude Corner. I am grateful for... So I practice Ashtanga Yoga. Uh, It is a... You know, I probably need Wikipedia at this point, but, um, okay. I'm one of those people. So side note, popular education is my pedagogy. So I am, I learn by doing things with my hands and not being just basically integrating myself into the environment that I'm learning from. And so 
yoga is one of those practices that I don't really read a lot about it. I don't consume mass amounts of knowledge about it. I don't listen to podcasts about it, but I just feel it and I live it and I experience it. And that's how um, it is applied to my life in that way. So that being said, I did take a 48-hour workshop about yoga to learn more about it, the practice, (laughs) a few weeks ago. So, okay, that being said. There's an opening mantra that, actually, sorry, the ending mantra, which um, I learned, I I came to find out that it is um, a a, a gratitude expression for all the teachers in your life. So... It's the teacher in you. So it's Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. And then you go home. And so the first Shanti is honoring the teacher in you. The second Shanti is honoring the teachers in your life. And the third Shanti is the the world experience that is teaching you to be a better person. And so... Yesterday, I just had a wonderful yoga session, and I there's so many teachers in my life, and not just the instructors at my yoga studio who somehow always know what I need, what I need to work on, and and push me to be a better, a better um, yogi, if you will, but also the teachers at at work and the teachers in my life, and these older women that, like I talked about with the league, it's like just these these people in my life who have offered me so much wisdom and they're teaching me so much and everyone has something to teach you. You know, if you really just take a step back and you let your ego, you, you set your ego to the side, everyone has something to teach you. Everyone has a story and you can become a better person because of it. And it's just, it's a very humbling practice. So that's what I'm grateful for. And I'm grateful that we get to have this week and this wine. I'm sorry to everyone on the pod. We've been pretty boozy this pod but that's just that's where we are in our lives i'm really excited about what we've got going on in the pod though i'm currently trying to work on one of the issues that ann and i talked about discussing on the pod is the issue of removing the removal of confederate statues across the southeast and uh i have a friend who's actually related to nathaniel bedford Forrest, and she's a millennial um i think she would have a really interesting perspective on how she feels um, about what's going on. And so, you know, we're going to have conversations like that on the pod. We're going to interview lots of, you know, interesting people. I'm really excited about that. We'll keep you updated with the campaigns that we're involved with. Um, and the life updates, cause I know y'all love them. Do you? Do you <laughs> actually please let us know DM us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and let us know what you want to hear more of request topics or, because um, honestly, it's just going to be Anna and I talking for an hour about everything. This and is so, really cathartic for us. Yeah, but I mean, if you guys like it, but I know some we of want you want to like it. <laughs> I, I know some of you because I, you guys know that if you're not four feet in front of me, I don't contact you. And so I know for, for most of my friends across the country and in the world that this is like an hour with Afton. You know, not that I'm like you know, publicized. You know. You know, it's not that I, I just know that you guys miss the sound of my voice. The, 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 the soft, the soft melody that is my voice. Yeah. That you don't get to hear yeah. every day, you know? Exactly. And we're still, um, thinking about that three-star review. So <laughs> just never going to let it go. No, I'm not. 
and I think about it every day. And, but we and really that's also a teacher. So when I bow down and I say, Shanti, 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 and I bow down, I think, whoever wrote that three-star review, you were teaching me a lesson. <laughs> oh, On that note, oh, until next week. Wait, until next week. Okay, we love you guys. We love y'all. Oh, that was another criticism from my mom. We love y'all, and we will be more prepared. We promise we are trying to be better podcasters. We promise we won't bring another bottle of wine into the closet. That's for the grits after dark, so. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.